live from New York, it's Tuesday afternoon. Or, or really, this is a podcast, so you could be listening to it on any day of the week at any time, which is a, a terrifying possibility I have to plan for in future introductions to this show, Streamageddon, the podcast where we try to watch everything the streaming universe has to offer. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined across the East River from another far-flung borough of New York, the city we are going to be talking so much about today, Diane Nora. Hey, Diane, how you doing over there? Oh, I'm doing great. I uh, I wish I could do an SNL announcer voice, but I'm just going to be kind to our listeners and not attempt that. Kind to my editing, too. Took a lot of effort <laughs> not to blow out the microphone there. Uh, and, and I just want to know, what are you doing in this big, beautiful city of ours today? Are you descending a staircase to lean against a piano? Are you uh, just smirking at a bellhop suddenly while a font appears below you with your name? Yeah, I, I wanted to be hustling up the subway steps. No, or... no more hustling up the subway steps. We're past that. Now we are celebrating on rooftop bars and seemingly the fire escape of an old-timey hotel while also holding a whole old-timey phone. There's there's a lot of specific things going on in that one, Colin. Props. Why Props. not? They got a good props budget this year, but of course, what are we talking about? We are talking about the new introduction of the relatively new cast of season 48 of Saturday Night Live. This is a very special episode of Streamageddon. First of all, it's a Tuesday, and listener, I'm sure you're wondering, what are we doing in your feed on a Tuesday? Well, big news, we are now releasing the show on a Tuesday. That's it. This is going forward Tuesdays. I'm sure you're as thrilled as we are. Uh, And part of the reason we wanted to do that this week is so we could talk about Saturday Night Live because it just premiered this past weekend with guest host Miles Teller and musical guest Kendrick Lamar. And we want to just kind of unpack our feelings about the premiere, what direction the show is going, which sketches made us laugh and which sketches made us wonder which corporations are paying Lauren Michaels to mention their names on TV. But... But we do have one piece of news we want to get to first. So before we dive into SNL, let's dive into another corner of Late Night TV. And if you are already up on the Late Night TV news, you know we are about to talk about The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, without Trevor Noah. Because last week, Trevor Noah stunned the audience of The Daily Show by announcing that he is going to quit hosting The Daily Show. But that is not the only group of people he seems to have surprised with this announcement, Diane. No, it seems it was also news to the executives at Paramount, uh, which is a very fun way to hear, (laughs) along with your audience, that um, one of your most important properties is losing its longtime host. Uh, In Puck, Matt Bellany reported that um, Noah actually had lunch with Chris McCarthy, the president and CEO of MTV Entertainment Group, uh, who has oversight of Comedy Central, um, the day before the announcement, and Trevor Noah didn't tell Chris McCarthy. Oops. (laughs) You know, maybe he just really wanted him to enjoy his lunch. That's true. You know, you don't want to spoil it. Mm -hmm. You don't want to say the thing that ruins the mood. Uh, We're from the Midwest. We know this feeling. It's just very polite. You're just very polite the whole time. Very thoughtful, of course. So I guess the big question will be, well, what does this mean for the future of The Daily Show? Uh, And then also, who's going to step in as host? 
Well, we know sort of one of those answers, kind of, this week. Definitely not the second question, but the first mm-hmm. question. People were wondering what is going to become of The Daily Show. And, uh, I, you know, I didn't ask myself this question. I'm like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm sure they're going to keep The Daily Show around, at least for a little while longer. But there were some rumors that maybe they would take this as an opportunity to turn it into a Paramount Plus streaming exclusive. Because while, you know, The Daily Show is kind of the crown jewel of Comedy Central, Comedy Central is simply a pillar of the ever-expanding Paramount empire. Uh, But no, Paramount wants us to know that Comedy Central still exists, still matters, and will still be the home of The Daily Show, but also that they have absolutely no idea who's going to host because they weren't prepared for this and they're not going to even really start the host search until they figure out when Trevor's leaving. Uh, We have some links from The Hollywood Reporter in the show notes that go over the details there, but they they use the phrase, they first want to celebrate Trevor before they move on from Trevor. <laughs> and that is appropriate. He, he's worthy of celebration. But it really all reads that they had no idea he was going to do this. And in fact, he re-upped his deal with Paramount this past summer. Yeah, I am a Trevor Noah fan. So I was disappointed to see that he was leaving, even though to be completely transparent, I don't tune into The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Mostly I see it on social, which I think is a big way a lot of people access like late night content now. Um, But I know that even though its linear ratings have been dropping over the past few years, it still makes a lot of money for Comedy Central. Uh, through advertising, basically. Yeah. So um, because of that, you know, it's it's still important. And I wasn't too surprised to see that it's going to stick around as a cable property instead of going straight to... Yeah, and you, you know. can stream it. It's not like they're saying you have right. to get Comedy Central to watch it, but they're saying we're not throwing Comedy Central out with the revamp of the show, which, well, why would you at this point? Cable still exists. I know it's hard to believe if you're in the streaming universe as far as we are, but cable is a big deal. And... The Daily Show is a big deal on cable. The The question that lingers now is who will replace him? And of course, people are already jumping on the speculation bandwagon. I saw TMZ is very interested in Roy Wood Jr. And I, I love Roy Wood Jr., but I don't think you can pick any of the existing correspondents. That's just not how the show works. No, I mean, I do, I, I do like a few of them a lot, but I think that while I understand why they would consider those folks, because they're already tied to the brand, they have relationships with these people, they clearly understand the tone of the show since they make it. Um, part of what The Daily Show needs is that authoritative voice to, you know, parody. And I don't think that most of the, the correspondents are doing, like, goofy bits, which don't really okay. and that, fall that's into a- that song. That's always been the way the correspondents operate in that show. It's not to say that these correspondents aren't up to the task or something. It's the correspondents are caricatures. They always have been since the genesis of the show. It's the entire reason Stephen Colbert has a career is because he made his character on The Daily Show. And then they promoted him to his own show because you could never have his character take over The Daily Show. It would never make any sense. It's a completely different thing. Being the host and being the correspondent, two different jobs. And while the people who are the correspondents are certainly capable of doing the hosting job, you can't recast them like that. It would, it would be like if you tuned in to an old episode of Law and & Order and Sam Waterston was the defense attorney. Right, exactly. That's a great that's a great example. I think it's interesting to think about too because it's like, oh, what's going to happen to the Daily Show? Can they replace Trevor Noah? Though of course Trevor Noah was a replacement for Jon Stewart, and Jon Stewart himself 
was a replacement. You know, he really made The Daily Show the incredible thing that it was. And I think that, you know, the heyday of The Daily Show for me will always be the Jon Stewart era. But, you know, it existed before him and it has since him. And I'm sure they'll find someone great. The transition to Trevor was a huge success at the end of the day. He revamped the show just enough to make it feel like his own show. He skewed the audience younger than John's audience, which was smart. And I, they have to do that kind of reinvention again, I think. I don't think there's a way to just keep on keeping on. That's not how you handle a transition like this. I agree. And I don't have specific demographic info on who watches The Daily Show, but I would also imagine that the audience may have diversified with Trevor Noah. Um, certainly, it seems like the, the group of correspondents and lead correspondents diversified. And I hope they'll keep moving in that direction. I would love to see, you know, a woman of color maybe take over the hosting spot. Just putting that out Amber into the Ruffin. universe. <clears throat> Amber <Ooh>. Ruffin. <clears throat> Whose show just she's, returned she's on Peacock? Great. Mm -hmm. She is great. <laughs> there you go. Somebody save her from Peacock. Yeah. I mean, maybe that show is doing great. I don't know. I, like I love I said, that show. I but no demographic. Anything doing great on Peacock? <laughs> that is a question we may get to very soon. You know, before mm. we move on, I did want to, to pose one possible question. The Daily Show is really an institution now, much like the institution we are about to discuss. And... You may have heard this saying that the best season of Saturday Night Live is the one when you were 18, the one when you were in <laughs> high school, right? Everyone has their own exact number. But the answer is always, when you were growing up, that was the heyday of Saturday Night Live, no matter when that was. And part of me wonders if that's the future of The Daily Show. People like us will always look back on the Jon Stewart era as the heyday of The Daily Show, peak Daily Show. And in terms of cultural influence, that, that may be objectively true. But I also think that there are younger people. My own sister is young enough that she remembers the Trevor Noah era much more fondly than the Jon Stewart era, just based on how old she was at the time. And so I think that might, might be the future. What do you think? I love that idea. I hope that's the case. I know for my own creative projects, my favorite thing is always the thing I haven't finished writing yet <laughs> and not anything I've written in the past. So, you know, I, I'd like to have that rosy outlook for The Daily Show, too. You know, that the next era is the best thing. And, and I do uh, have very fond feelings overall about Trevor Noah's tenure. Yeah, and I'm sure we will get to celebrate it along with the folks at Paramount much, much more in the coming weeks and months. And, you know, we'll be following this story really closely because it is a juicy one just in the, the landscape of late night, which has kind of um, fossilized a bit during the pandemic. There hasn't really been a lot of change in late night because of the pandemic. And now we are getting to a moment where I think a lot of pent up change is happening. And, and there is no better time then for us to talk about a show full of pent up change this season, Saturday night live is it that apocalyptic i don't know i kind of liked the premiere let's start with that we watched the season premiere of season 48 of saturday night live in case that's not clear so spoiler alert for a bunch of sketch comedy jokes i don't know do you need to do a spoiler alert for that I don't think there was really anything super shocking in this material, and that may be by design. Bowen Yang played a lantern fly. I hope you didn't have that on your bingo card, because I just I just took it. They do like making Bo play bugs. They really do. 
They like making Bo play just about everything. One of my big takeaways from watching Saturday Night Live, which I watched on Peacock, no longer next day on Hulu, uh, was that Bowen seems like he's the rising star of the show. So many ways. And I also think he was sort of pulling double duty this week because the other veteran, as they called him, which, you know, they knew it was a bit of a joke to say the veteran Bowen Yang, but also mm-hmm. he is the veteran Bowen Yang at this point. But the other big veteran who wasn't there this week is Cecily Strong. And I want to get this out of the way because there was some panic on the internet. People, I saw the tweets, people thought Cecily had just, you know, done an Irish exit on Saturday Night Live because she's not in the opening credits. That is because she is in L.A. doing a one-woman show and did not have the ability to be in the shoot for the opening credits, where they, again, were mostly lounging on stairs, pianos, bellhop uh, counters, the fire escape at a fancy hotel. I, I don't really know what to make of the new opening credit sequence personally, but that's also not the reason people watch the show. No, and I think that if it were the the funniest or most, most interesting thing we saw, the show would be in bigger trouble That would trouble be a real problem. Yeah, no matter what you heard about the season premiere of Saturday Night Live, I am thrilled to report that the credit sequence is not the high point. Cecily's show that she's working on closes on the 23rd of October. So in just a few weeks, she'll be back. And this will actually, this season will make her the longest running female cast member on SNL with consecutive seasons, which is pretty cool. Wow. I like Cecily Strong. Wow. That's a very specific statistic worded in a very specific way, but I love it. And I love Cecily. Looking forward to having her back. Though, I will say we got some great performances uh, from a lot of cast members who have been around for a while, but kind of hiding in the background on this episode. I, I personally never realized how much I like Andrew Dismukes until this week when he showed up as uh, the corn. <laughs> the corn. <laughs> That was funny. I was a little underwhelmed by his Eli Manning, but I think that part of that was that. So in the cold open, they had um, the week's host, Miles Teller, play Peyton Manning. And so they just wanted him to be Eli. And no one in the cast seemed to have a a very good Eli Manning impression. And so they just gave it to Dismukes. And he did fine. I mean, it was Okay. Yes, Miles Teller's Peyton Manning was good. Was excellent. That's the thing is, Miles Teller's Peyton Manning was so good, it was kind of scary. And there's no reason for anyone to try next to that because part of the punchline of the joke is Eli is the also ran of the Mannings. So that worked for me. I thought he was, yeah. I, I thought Andrew Dismukes was very game for that setup. And I, mm-hmm. I'm glad you bring us back to the cold open because actually I thought the cold open was pretty good. It was a little rocky in execution. There were some funny pauses, some weird camera cuts because they were doing something a little more complicated than your standard cold open sketch. But I'm willing to forgive those kind of live comedy production issues. That that That's not a problem for me personally. I liked that they kind of took head on the fact that this is going to be a rebuilding season. They even leaned into the sports metaphors with the, the Manning brothers doing their play-by-play of the cold open. So the whole thing was a meta joke. The Mannings, who have their own show on ESPN where they talk about football, they were doing a live breakdown of a cold open sketch in the 
uh, style of cold opens that people have come to criticize as of late, where it's just a bunch of random political jokes and a bad Trump impression crammed together. Although I, I want to point out, when I say bad Trump impression here, the, the bad impressions in this cold open were intentional. And and again, I liked that a lot about this cold open. Bo and Yang coming out as a completely bafflingly bad Xi Jinping and mispronouncing the word corgi. Great. <laughs> Great. I loved that because it, it it's, you know, good to see the show is self-aware and especially good to see the show is self-aware of some of the criticism because th- th- that people often criticize the show just to complain, but a lot of people criticize it because they want it to get better. I would like to think we're in that camp when we say critical things about it because I love the show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's also one of the, like, last places where really comedy writers are getting hired (laughs) to do this many weeks per year. So that part of it is super exciting. And you get to see, you know, some rising new talent, which is exciting. As far as the Trump impression goes, um, it's uh, James Austin Johnson Mm -hmm. who joined the cast last season. And I think he is a huge improvement on the Alec Baldwin Trump. I actually really prefer it. And if the show overall moved away from celebrities doing political impressions and more into having their cast members do those impressions, I would be really strongly in favor of that move. Um, yes, the heyday of Tina Fey, that was a great moment doing Sarah Palin. But I think sometimes it's like weaken their satire overall to have these like beloved celebrities doing, you know, I don't know. I don't need to see Matt Damon play Brett Kavanaugh ever again. For me, that was a low point of SNL. So moving toward what they seem to be embracing this season, uh, I was very happy about that. Very happy. Yeah, me too. And they, they again, they seem very aware of it. James Austin Johnson also played Mitch McConnell later in the episode, and he's really turning really? into yeah their utility uh, impersonation player in a way that Kate McKinnon was when she was Rudy and when she was Lindsey Graham. Wilbur Ross, yeah. <laughs> She was everybody. <laughs> and they made fun of that in the opening, too, when they were like, mm-hmm. where are all these impressions? And Eli Manning points out those were all Kate McKinnon. But but in a way, Kate McKinnon got some criticism for those impressions because they were so over the top, often in a similar way, which was very funny. But James Austin Johnson's impressions are way more classic impersonations where he's not going over the top but overemphasizing specific characteristics his Mitch McConnell the way his face manipulates under the weird makeup they put him in to make it look like he's sinking into his neck it is really excellent and feels very what if Mitch McConnell had any personality you know Yeah, it actually kind of reminded me of Daryl Hammond back in the day, more than Kate McKinnon's impressions, where you just have, like, someone who really has that in their wheelhouse. I don't know how well he will do in other types of sketches, just being, like, a normal day player, but they have this huge bench right now that it doesn't really matter. No, and if this is his niche, like, some people settle into that impersonation niche, or they find the roles that are really right for them. You know, Pete Davidson, never really a great utility player, but found the roles that were right for him. And as long as that jives with the writers and the, the you know, and Lorne, that's a great place to be. You're going to have a great, you know, career on SNL. Yeah, I thought the tone of the cold open overall, and it it felt like the show was acknowledging 
the stuff that they've been talking about in the press. <laughs> um, and also, I think like self-referential and a little self-deprecating is a smart meta tone for SNL. I think they hit it well, and then they moved on and got into the fun jokes of it. Um, and I, I thought it was not not every sketch worked, but overall a good episode. Yeah, and again, they led with their strongest content for the most part. It was a well-stacked episode in that by the time the sketches started to make me wonder, we were almost at the end anyway, and that's how the show's supposed to work. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay, uh... so speaking of the sketches, you know, Miles had a great monologue. I liked seeing him do Sherry O'Terry. Let's move on for time. Uh, the game show sketch, I, you know, there is a, a trope of SNL doing random game shows as a kind of phoning it in sketch. And so there there was a risk when I think our first sketch, like right after the monologue, was straight into a game show sketch. But I thought this one was really funny because it was uh, timely enough. They're making fun of uh, Adam Levine and uh, Army Hammer, which is like just barely timely still, but we're coming back from the summer, so okay. And they throw in Neil deGrasse Tyson, sure, why not? And then Bowen Yang playing Bowen Yang as the punchline on a joke about straight men saying lascivious things to women online. Bowen Yang says the same lascivious things when he finds out he's being DM'd by Dua Lipa, which is great. I thought the whole thing, just a nice, simple, straightforward sketch. Agreed. And I think the the subtext of the earlier part, like why can't men say anything normal to women or why can't straight celebrity men say normal things to women was good. And, you know, like not totally novel, but well executed and funny. And did not overstay its welcome, which is, you know, another trope SNL sketches are sometimes, let's say, derided for, is that they just kind of meander on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And this did not. I, I thought we were going to get a second round of them at some point because I just assumed it would go, it would overstay its welcome a little bit. But no, that was nice and sharp. I can't say the same thing was true for all the sketches tonight. But again, it was nice to see them leading with their strong stuff. Agreed. One of the sketches right after that was one in which um, Mikey Day and Miles Teller played like day traders, like finance bros. And that to me had basically the same t subtext as that first sketch, like why can't men speak normally to women? And it was less well executed and just a little less funny. And I was like, oh, we just saw this sketch. I'm glad that SNL seems somewhat interested in feminism. <laughs> um, they could use women to to make that argument instead of just Mikey Day. But, you know. Right. One thing I will say about those two sketches as well is only the men get to be funny in those sketches. There are zero right. women in the first game show sketch. And then the women in the day trader sketch, th they are the straight men, so to speak. They're the ones who are just there so that we can laugh at the men. And, and you're great. We're laughing at the men. But also, I agree, it was a little redundant. And mostly that day trader sketch just made me miss Alex Moffat and the man who just bought a boat. Because they're making fun of the same person, the same kind of guy. Uh, but he he was so good at that. It almost felt like, no, it's too soon. You cannot have a bunch of day trader bros in, in vests yet. We're not ready. Agreed. And while the cast is smaller than it was before, uh, it's still a pretty big cast. And it still has a lot of a certain type of white guy. Uh, and... I don't know that it did a great job yesterday of letting them all shine. I, I, I feel like Mikey Day can do more, and I'd like to see him get weirder and sillier. 
You'd like to see him get weirder than playing Ronald McDonald in the night's most baffling sketch of all? That was bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weird but good, I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one thing I want to talk about uh, is the sponsored or potentially sponsored sketches. Because there was that McDonald's sketch that hinges on Grimace stopped eating McDonald's and got fit and discovered that he's bi. Okay. And uh, then the Charmin Bear sketch that centers on Miles Teller's Charmin Bear son not wanting to go to toilet college. <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm struggling even describing these two. They were really thin with with a really game cast. Like, sure, I'll watch Keenan Thompson dance around in a bear costume any day. But man, those were tough. I agree. Yeah, especially I thought the Charmin one. I mean, it just like bathroom humor as a joke format might get a quick shock laugh but you really can't pull that off for more than 30 seconds. Give us something else. It it, it was really bottom of the barrel. And um, yes, I, I, I thought it was bad. And if it was a, an ad for Charmin, it didn't make me want to buy Charmin. I hear that on network, it was followed immediately by an ad for Charmin, which sure does suggest mm. that Charmin paid for that. The McDonald's one is a little more questionable just because a lot of it hinges on Grimace stopped eating McDonald's and now he's in amazing shape. But the punchline at the end was that they're all bi. And and I'm loving both was the McDonald's tagline, which really kind of came out of nowhere and then made me go, well, is this an ad for McDonald's trying to be kind of like weird and edgy? Because again, you know, when they do these sponsored sketches, they're just telling the, the writers at SNL, incorporate the brand. They're not giving them really any instruction on what to cover. And then, you know, I'm sure some producers are making sure that they don't say anything that would really piss off McDonald's, right? Right. I could see this being part of a bigger strategy because I know lately McDonald's has been rebranding like Happy Meals. They're like bringing them back to tr appeal specifically to adults and like millennials. You know, maybe they think millennials want bisexual McDonald's characters uh, to enjoy with their Happy Meals. It's a weird it's a weird move. And it would have been fine if it was hilarious but it just wasn't that funny, so it was just very well, strange. That's maybe the other reason my suspicion goes, well, these must be sponsored, because they just don't feel like they have uh, much of a, a perspective or really a joke in mind, so much as it was right about this brand. And you're like, well, I'll figure out some jokes about that brand. Whereas some of the other sketches, again, like um, the game show sketch, to go back to the beginning there, really had a point of view and a clear trajectory it was going on, as, as opposed to these other ones that, let's say, did not. No. I That does make me say that I didn't find watch i watched on peacock the next day and i didn't find my ad experience to be distracting from the show which is something i was concerned about um it was as unremarkable as when i used to watch it the next day on hulu uh, again i already had peacock so there's no like disruption there for me in terms of viewing but um 
if they were worried about the rollout at all in that sense, it seemed pretty seamless to me. It felt like a similar experience. How, yeah. how did you find the watching of it? I would say the same. Ad breaks on Peacock were smooth, not buggy, not weird, not too loud, and not mm-hmm. too long. And one innovation that I really do want to give the streaming apps credit for is the little counter in the corner that tells you how many seconds are left in the ad break so you know whether you have time to pee. Yeah, I appreciate those. I really do. That is innovation at work. And speaking of innovation at work, one of the innovations in SNL in the last decade or so are pre-recorded sketches, which of course is not the newest thing, but it is an area where some of the best sketches are now the pre-recorded sketches. And there were two this week that I liked both of them. I liked one a lot more than the other. The first one that came up was a, a sketch all about Be Real, which if you don't know the social media app Be Real, you can just open your app store and search for Be Real right now and figure that out on your own. It's the new thing. And setting it at a bank robbery, I instantly knew where this was going and it was still funny. Because of course, it's an app about taking photos of what's happening to you right now. So you're going to take photos of the bank robbery, which is then going to cause the bank robbers to go to jail. I knew that that was where it was going the second I realized it was going to be about Be Real. But it was still extremely satisfying and very funny. Yeah, that one worked for me, too. I mean, it's a silly concept, but it was funny. And it has, like, a little light satire in it about our, you know, relationship with social media culturally. I also think it's indicative of uh, SNL and the writers trying to appeal to younger audiences. Oh, yeah. The other one, the other pre-recorded one, I love something about it very much. This is, if you have not been to the movies in a long time, you might not know that Nicole Kidman is the star of these extremely strange ads that play before movies at AMC theaters, where she just really wants you to know how magical it is that you're at an AMC theater seeing a movie. Did I describe that correctly? I've seen this at the movies. This has been a thing at AMC movie theaters for a long time now. It has. It has also been a thing on the internet and that it has been like endlessly parodied and memed uh, across line now for about six to eight months, I feel like. Um, So this is one of those where I think that the schedule didn't really help. And I was feeling like, oh, when you wrote this three months ago, this was probably kind of funny. And Chloe Feynman is really nailing this impersonation. She's great. That's what I wanted to point out. I oh, love. Sorry. No, Jump no, again. please. You, you were correct. She was amazing. I would just watch her do Nicole Kidman in anything. This was maybe the least interesting utilization of her Nicole Kidman impersonation. Completely agree. And I also think uh, it didn't escalate in a way that was anything new. And if you're going to do something that's been so memed for months, you really got to give us a new take. Um, I did like that it gave us a quick chance at seeing some of the newbies, um, but not enough airtime for them to really do anything remarkable. So No, they yeah. felt kind of like seat fillers in that one. Uh, but speaking of the newbies, I wanted to wrap up by talking about the cast changes and the new cast members. Not a lot of screen time for three of them. And we did talk about Mm -hmm. these cast members in the last episode, so you can go back in your feed if you missed that. Uh, But one did get a spot on Weekend Update, and he got a a pretty good little moment in the cold open. And that's Michael Longfellow, who they're kind of positioning as the new 
I don't want to say the new Pete Davidson, but one of the articles we'll link to in the show notes already said, is he the new Pete Davidson? So there. Uh, no, he's not. But Pete had that role of showing up and doing a bit of his stand-up on Weekend Update as a sort of regular thing. And they're clearly trying that out with Michael Longfellow, who obviously had some stand-up that was appropriate for this week's Weekend Update. The way they got there felt a little bit of a stretch, making it about the Sydney Sweeney thing and then kind of dropping the Sydney Sweeney thing. But honestly, I don't care. I thought that the um, the jokes were funny. Michael Longfellow's delivery was interesting because it's more low-key than Pete Davidson. It's a lot more subdued, so the jokes kind of slow burn their way in. And at first, I was like, he seems maybe like he's uncomfortable. But by the end of that bit on Weekend Update, I thought, no, this is his, his thing, and they're going to figure out if that's a good fit and settle into it. But one of my laugh-out-loud moments of the night was during that bit when Colin Jost described himself as a Bill Maher liberal, and Michael Longfellow goes, right, a Republican. I laughed at that, too. I thought that was really good. Um, And I did, after really cringing at the words Bill Maher liberal, um, (laughs) it satisfied me. And I thought, again, it's almost hitting that metatone of the show where people have some questions about, like, what are Lauren Michaels politics and stuff? And this is Weekend Update saying, yeah, we know. We know what's going on. Um, And I thought that Michael Longfellow's uh, stand up was really strong. I don't, the Sydney Sweeney thing again, why are we doing old news? But he got away from that really quickly, and uh, it made me go check out some of his other stand up. Um, and I, I think he's got a strong, cool voice. I don't know how well he'll work as a sketch player, but maybe what he'll be is just another Pete Davidson who comes on Weekend Update every once in a while and does a solid tight two. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm fine with that. Yeah, and he was, they, they gave him a gag in the cold open. They made they made a point of mm-hmm. saying, here comes one of the new cast members. He's going to open a door and say, right this way. And then he opened a door and he said, right this way. And then he botched his exit on purpose. But that was very funny. And that kind of deadpan look to the camera thing, that works for him. So in general, they gave him a really good launch pad in this episode. And then the other three new cast members were there. They weren't invisible, which is sometimes they are in the premiere. So that's better than nothing. Yeah. In terms of uh, video content, we didn't have anything this week, I think, that was specifically by the Please Don't Destroy Boys, who are um, uh, one of my favorite members of the team right now. So I hope we'll get more of their video bits this season because I just think they're always funny. Well, uh, listeners, what are you looking forward to or hoping for on this season of Saturday Night Live? We're going to be checking in throughout the season, sharing our thoughts, and I think we'll probably do another end-of-season recap like we did for season 47. So email us, podcast at streamageddon.com, and check out Saturday Night Live on Peacock, not Hulu, because you can no longer watch those episodes on Hulu. Welcome to the horrible universe we all have to live in. But Diane, uh, you and I will help people figure it out because that's what we do here on Streamageddon. Happy to help. Happy as always. And until next time, keep streaming, friends.
millennials want bisexual McDonald's characters uh, to enjoy with their Happy Meal 